thanks for joining me today. This is Redemptive Revolution, restoring hope to the formerly incarcerated. I'm Nick Arnold. Criminal justice reform can't just be solved by the government. If mobilized correctly, the church is uniquely qualified to tackle these issues as well. My guest today is Sean Castleberry. Sean is an author, speaker, and executive director of Mission Year. He is also a passionate advocate for justice reform in the United States and helps churches align themselves in the movement. Sean, it's great to have you on the program. It's great to be here. Thank you. Thank you. So uh, mass incarceration affects many parts of our community. Can you kind of give me an idea of what that impact looks like? Yes, it's it's probably helpful to just explain mass incarceration, um, just in case people don't have a clear picture of what that is. It's a it's a term that's been going around a lot, but it it really encompasses a whole uh, system. Um, Michelle Alexander calls it a web of laws, rules, policies, and customs that control those that are labeled criminals, both in and out of prison. And so it's the rapid expansion of the prison. Uh, system and industry. Uh, just over the last four decades, the incarceration rates have quadrupled. And so we have more people incarcerated in the United States than we have than any other nation in the world. So that has a big impact. It impacts prisoners. Um, they leave prison with permanent records. And so it makes it harder for them to get jobs, housing, education, um, it's hard for them to, uh, they don't have voting rights. So it's hard on prisoners. It's hard on prisoners' families who are left without mothers and fathers and breadwinners. So it economically kind of undermines families. It impacts communities um, in really negative ways. So a lot of people are leaving prison worse than when they got there. And so they're coming back into neighborhoods without uh, access to jobs and and then it ends up kind of perpetuating crime in communities. And then it has an impact on society as well because mass incarceration is expensive and it's taking a lot of money, um, you know, a lot of our taxpayer money, but it's not producing uh, results that are positive results. People are not getting um, rehabilitated and, you know, coming back into society with skills and abilities ready to contribute. Yeah, it seems like it's kind of a downward spiral that we're we're on when when these people aren't coming back ready to uh, contribute because they they don't have the either the skills or the ability or or um, <clears throat> the opportunities to contribute the way that uh, maybe even they want to. Yeah, and a lot of the programs that that were very helpful for folks like education programs and other kinds of skills, a lot of those are being cut as well. Um, so, yeah, it's really leaving people a lot worse off than, than than when they got there. Definitely. So there's a lot of different things that people are trying to do to, to combat this. Um, but you work with a lot of churches, not just to see the problems of mass incarceration, but to get into action. So what do you think that churches should be doing to help reduce mass incarceration? I think we, there's a there's a number of things that we could do. I think first we have to address the there's this misguided bifurcation between prison ministry and prison advocacy. And I didn't realize this until I started going into the prison. And I was uh, a chaplain friend of mine was telling me on the ride in. He said, you know, it's kind of interesting that 
there's, you know, a lot of Christians who, you know, kind of label themselves on the conservative end of the spectrum. They, they come into the prisons and they, they visit prisoners and they pray with them and they do uh, Bible studies and worship gatherings, but they don't advocate for some of the, the, the laws and policies that are really impacting mass incarceration. He says, but on the flip side, there's a lot of Christians who kind of lean on the liberal end of the spectrum who talk about prison advocacy and changing laws, but they never visit the prison mm. and they don't, you know, they don't build relationships with, with folks. So it, it kind of opened my eyes to say, oh my gosh, there's blind spots that the church has because of our, you know, ideology and, and politics that, that keep us from seeing uh, the holistic picture of what we can be doing. And so really what I'm, what I try to advocate with churches is we need to do both, right? It's, it's about uh, reforming individuals, yes, and reforming systems and changing laws to be more uh, compassionate, restorative, uh, all the things that as Christians we feel strongly about. So that's, that's one of the things uh, I see is, is it, is it something we can do. Um, and so if we find ourselves on one end of the spectrum or the other, if we find ourselves focused on, um, prison ministry and add advocacy to what we do. And if we find ourselves on the advocacy, advocacy side, add, uh, the prison ministry and it, it'll just give us a, a more complete approach. Um, but also there's, you know, one of the verses I love in scripture is Hebrews 13, three, and it says, remember those in prison as if you were there yourself. Mm. So there's a clear call to remember, to keep those in prison on our minds, on our hearts. Don't forget. Uh, and what I find is with prisons, a lot of times they're, they're either located in uh, urban communities or way out, you know, in rural communities, kind of outside of our, our mind. So, you know, out of sight, out of mind. And so we have to be intentional about remembering those who are in prison. And then um, as I was actually studying that verse, um, I learned that the early church really practiced this in some, some meaningful ways. Uh, when one of their brothers would uh, would get locked up in prison, they would do whatever, everything that they could to advocate to get him out. Hmm. So that was advocacy. But when they couldn't get him out, they bribed the guards so that they could sleep in the cell with their brother just so that he wouldn't be alone. Wow. And that's, that's solidarity. And so I think the church has this role where we can play, where we can be in solidarity with those in prison and keep them on our minds and keep them on the minds of our uh, our members of Congress. And we find ways, how do we get close? How do we let them know that they're not forgotten, that God loves them, that there is, um, that they have purpose and hope even in the midst of what they're going through. That's a beautiful picture. I didn't, uh, I, I didn't connect those things in, in, in scripture. I really appreciate you doing that. Um, churches are really when at their best parts of the community and, and active parts and uh, one of the things that um, maybe churches can uh, help focus on is not just the, the person in prison or in jail, but the families left behind. You mentioned how impactful that is for them. W what can churches be doing to better uh, serve those families? Oh, that's a great question. And there's so much. I think it's a great role for, for us as a church. Um, so I, I live in a neighborhood in, in Chicago, on the west side of Chicago, which would be described as a neighborhood of concentrated incarceration, where the effects of incarceration are, are felt widely across our whole community. And I 
early on, I got involved in a mentoring program with, with youth and it was a music program and I was getting involved and I love mentoring youth. And, you know, I, I was kind of just in the ministry mindset of like, I love, love on youth, walk with youth. But I started realizing that many of their stories, um, revolved around uh, the prison system and how their dads, their moms, their brothers, their cousins um, had gotten caught up in the prison system. And so that's what kind of opened my eyes to the impact of of the system on families and how isolated those families felt, how shameful uh, a lot of the kids felt even to talk about uh, what what had happened. And this uh, this program that was uh, I was involved with um, was much more than a music program. It became a secondary family for those uh, those in in prison, and that's where I kind of learned. Okay, that's what the church can do. The church can be this support system, this secondary family that comes alongside those who are in prison. So I think there are some clear things we can do. I think um, the more the church talks about this, it it takes it out of that taboo. It takes it out of the shame and just saying. Um, you know, we stand with families. We stand with those that are in prison because God has a heart for the prisoner. Um, just even saying that will allow people to open up. Uh, I do workshops around this topic, and when we start to kind of create that space and, and, and say, like, you know what? We all have different stories. We all had things happen to us. We're, this affects us. It's not just the issue. It affects us personally. Uh, people start opening up and start sharing, yep, I, I was in prison or my son's in prison or all of these things. And I think allowing people to just talk about it and have that safe space is, is huge. I think there's other really practical things we can do. Right. Um, one friend of mine said, you know, most churches have a church band and most families have a hard time getting to the prison to even visit their loved ones. Like here in Chicago, there's a maximum security prison that I go to. It's uh, an hour and 15 minutes away. And so uh, public transportation doesn't go out there. What if churches use their, the resource that they already have, and that's a lot of times just sitting in the parking lot six days a week. Right. Um, why don't we use that to, to offer to take folks uh, to the prison to visit their families, like bring families together. We're all about the family. So uh, how do we use our resources that way? Uh, I think, you know, economically, like understanding that, that families who have a breadwinner that's incarcerated, that means that they're going to be struggling with paying bills and, and putting food on the table and, and all those things. So being very aware of that is another way. Um, how do we, how do we support families with, with what they need? And um, yeah, there's really, I mean, so many, so many like practical things, but even just like the emotional support, praying with um, asking people how they're doing, um, that's that's one of the best ways just how can we help yeah and and so you really just looking at the resources that you already have in place and and maybe just thinking about how to use them uh a little bit differently and and reach out a little bit more uh that's that's a great thing to to think about i even think about a lot of churches have meal ministries for their congregation and so maybe you could uh, you know, put some of these families um, with incarcerated uh, uh, family members on, on these meal ministry plans and, and help them, uh, you know, get some, some good meals on the table for their kids. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I mean, the church is great with, with other, like, we have small groups for everything, right? Yeah. Um, and I know a lot of churches, they'll have small groups for singles or single moms or, um, you know, 
a number of, of recovery programs. Like, why not have a, a support group for those that have a loved one that's incarcerated? I think we'll be surprised, you know, who shows up and how and how how many people this is affecting. And that's why, with the numbers of of incarcerated like increasing so dramatically. It's going to affect all of us at some point if it hasn't already. Right, right. Yeah, I can, you know, name a, a number of people that, um, uh, you know, I'm connected with and that you, you don't realize that they have a story that, that includes that uh, until you start asking. It's pretty, pretty uh, crazy how, how many people there are out there. Yes. So... To be able to, uh, you really see reform. Churches obviously can't write legislation; they can't make the laws. Uh, what can they be doing to partner with local governments or state governments and even federal governments to help see uh, change be be brought to this uh, this system? Yeah, that's a great question because when we're talking about um, you know ministry and advocacy, that that means that the church. Uh, there's something the church does and can only do that the government can't do, mm-hmm. right? And like that's there's ministry that that the church needs to be about, regardless of what the government does, regardless of who's in office. We can keep doing what we're called to do, uh, but there's things that only the government can do as well, and that's uh, writing policy, um, thinking about these these laws and how they're impacting people, communities, how they're spending our resources. So. But that doesn't mean the church doesn't need to be involved in that conversation or to be speaking into it. And that's where I, I feel like the church's role is really to be a voice uh, and a prophetic voice. Uh, Jesus was always talking about how are the least of these, you know, how, how are they doing? How are how, how are they being impacted? And I think the church, when we stand with those who are incarcerated, when we stand with those who are marginalized and hurting and give voice, amplify their voices to government, uh, I think that's a role that we can play um, really well. Um, I've I've talked to different congressmen and women, and you know they say they're so busy they don't have time to always research every issue, um, and so they are relying on us <laughs> to inform them. Which okay. is when I heard that I, I was I was like really <laughs> like you know, but it, but when you think about it, there's so many issues, how could they know all of this stuff? So. Once we start doing some research, once we realize what's going on here, we need to let them know, and they need to know that we're concerned. Uh, a lot of times, people in government don't think the church cares really is concerned on this issue. So, um, you know, the tough on crime policy—that's what gets politicians' votes. Mm-hmm. You know, appear tough on crime because nobody wants crime in their neighborhood. But what they don't hear—they don't hear churches saying, "Yes, uh, we want to make sure that they're," you know, "we're we're." you know, checking our crime, but we want to do it in a way that's restorative and we don't want to keep increasing um, the prison population when it's not proven to be effective to reduce crime. Like that, the growth of the, of mass incarceration over the last four decades um, has not been because crime has just been increasing, increasing. And so the prison population is increasing. Crime has, has stayed relatively the same. But it's continued to increase. So we need to we need to give voice to our uh, government officials. I think another aspect is really for us to advocate for restorative justice. Um, there are a lot of new models of restorative justice that are happening. Um, they're so in line with our faith. It's like we're Christians, like mercy 
redemption, restoration, like that's our thing. Like mm-hmm, right. we should be pushing, we should be pushing that. And, um, and instead a lot of Christians are pushing punitive measures, um, because we haven't really done the theological work to look at, um, you know, how we can, we can really impact the way that, uh, you know, justice is done in our in our country. So that's a, a couple of things. But uh, also, one other real practical thing is 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 letting people know the stories. Like, if we are standing in solidarity with families, if we're st- if we're visiting the prisons, we're getting these stories that not everyone is hearing, and we've got to share those stories. Yeah, stories are a powerful thing, and and it's interesting how much our the Bible and the Gospels are just really stories. Uh, and yeah. uh, they just made such a huge difference in the history of, of this world. And, and they were just stories. Yes. And I mean, I'll share a story, just a real quick story. Please. I mean, I, when I went into the, the maximum security prison, uh, I got to sit in on a class um, that this one prison, the, uh, the chaplain is really big on, on, you know, making sure the the inmates in there actually get, um, life resources and skills before they, before they go out, um, which is a rare thing, but it's great. So I get to sit in on a, on a religion class where, uh, different, um, different topics, different books were read. And, um, I was listening to the guys talking and, and they were just sharing about how there's, you know, a lack of mercy. There's, and they said, you know, America, uh, you know, we're we're talking about liberty and, and justice, but then we 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 lock up more people than, than anywhere else. And they said, yeah, and even Christians who talk so much about mercy, but they just they want to throw the book at us, right? And um, one of the guys in particular, Eddie, his he's a Christian, and he was talking about his his faith, and um, was just blown away with with his um, discipleship transformation. He said, you know. If you look at scripture, there's there's people Cain committed murder, Moses committed murder, Paul committed murder, but how did God deal with them? He restored them. Mm. He didn't, you know, he didn't uh, throw them away forever. But he said, you know what, We're, you're not defined by your worst mistake. Yeah. And and I think that's where the church, we our voice needs to to say, you know, yes, they made mistakes. Yes, they, they need to be responsible and accountable. But does that mean the rest of their lives? Um, you know, I just think that's wasted resources. And when we think about these are men and women created in the image of God, they've got so much more potential. And yes, there's some people that are hardened criminals who will never change, but there's a lot who have realized their mistake, but there's no option for them. Definitely. So, Sean, you are not just an advocate for prison reform. You're also the executive director of Mission Year which is an organization that helps 18 to 29-year-olds pursue God and God's mission for the city. So how is Mission Year involved in, in this mission of reducing the effects of, of mass incarceration? Great question. So our primary location uh, is, you know, we, we, we go into neighborhoods that are really impacted by uh, poverty um, and mass incarceration uh, other, you know, other social issues, housing, uh, homelessness. And so we're working in communities where uh, our neighbors are really impacted and affected. And so what we try to do is train our young adults who are coming in, you know, as, as Christians to see that part of their faith requires them to work for justice. 
and that justice being meaning loving our neighbor in all the ways we love ourselves, right? And advocating for that our neighbors would would have access and opportunity, the same opportunities that we have been afforded. And so uh, one of the ways that we do that is by partnering up with organizations who are um, who are working within this, the prison system, um, like Georgia Justice Project, making sure that uh, organizations uh, are ma- making sure that people have representation. Because a lot of the times, people can't afford uh, an attorney, so they get a public defender who has 200 other cases and doesn't really have the time to put toward them. And then, you know, ends up saying, well, you should just take the plea bargain, even you know whether you're guilty or not. And um, you know, they end up kind of in the system. So we we try to link up with organizations like that, and then we provide the uh, the energy and the, the 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 volunteer hours from our young adults to these organizations that are doing the work. Uh, we also partner with legal legal aid clinics, um, and we do like a lot of preventative work with young adults and at risk teens and youth who are really vulnerable to getting into the system. So we try to link up with a lot of organizations organizations there. And then we're, we're we're realizing, like I was sharing earlier, like we did a lot of, of of ministry, we did a lot of relationship building and mentoring, and we realized we need to add this advocacy piece to what we do. So we're also trying to uh, disciple and educate churches around some of these issues that are impacting our neighbors that they may not be aware of because they're living in another community where um, maybe they're not seeing those same impacts. So that's just a little bit of what we do. Well, that's very exciting. I'm I'm really glad to hear uh, all the great work you guys are doing. So, lastly, if uh, someone is really interested in in getting involved in prison reform and, and making a difference, uh, what first steps would you uh, tell them to take? Great question. There there are so many things we could do. Sometimes we just feel like we care and we want to do something, but we don't know what to do. And there are there are a number of different ways. Um, I think uh, if, 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 if a Christian can start with just looking up every scripture that talks about justice and God's heart for justice, that is a great start, okay. you know, to see, to see how important this is to God's heart. This is not a political issue. This is, you know, not, um, not just a social, sociological issue. Like, this is a theological issue. God cares deeply. And then as you see that, uh, I think to move closer toward toward those who are experiencing this, whether directly, like visiting a prison is an is a easy thing to do. Um, talk to your church or get a group together to go. Um, I take some of our young, young adults uh, to the prison, and it's amazing where when they go there and meet people behind bars, they're like, these are, these are people, these are brothers, these are, you know, uh, it becomes personal. So being able to kind of go into that context is huge. Um, I'm part of another organization, uh, the Christian Community Development Association, and we have this annual event called Locked in Solidarity. And this past year, we had 54 different events, national events, where churches and groups organize uh, a day to just remember, to pray for those in prison, and to talk about how do we do some, you know, how do we do advocacy around around this? Um, so that's a great way to get involved. Um, you could start a book club. There's, there's a great book, Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson, which is, uh, he works in, uh, Montgomery, Alabama to defend those on death row. And a lot of times the people he's defending, some of them are innocent. Some of them have, have been, um, 
you know, haven't had the best defense. And so he defends those. And that's a great book study. It's a, it's his real, you know, his real stories and life's uh, doing that work. Um, I think linking up with other organizations, sometimes we think, you know, when we see a problem, we have to solve it as an individual, but this is a, a huge system that we can't do on our own. So linking up with others, find what gift do you have that might be utilized, you know, within an organization. So if you, if you know about a legal aid center, or if you, if you know about a, a youth mentoring program or, and there's some kind of skill that you have that might be helpful, um, volunteer that skill. You know, I realized like I love youth and I love mentoring youth and I got involved with this, this organization, right? I love writing and I'm realizing that, um, you know, there hasn't been as much writing about this issue in, in Christian circles. So I'm trying to use my gift there to amplify this, this, this issue. So find how, how your gift can be used uh, in this movement, because there's lots of people who are working on at this now, uh, but we need more people. We need, we need voices. We need bodies. We need, you know, uh, financial resources too, like supporting organizations that are doing this advocate advocating work so there there are a lot of a lot of things and and i'd be remiss um i when i was in prison i actually asked the some of the guys you know what can we be doing as the church and and one guy raised his hand and said you know stop voting for candidates who are tough on crime you (laughs) know so there are there are a lot of things that that we can do and then welcome welcoming people in our churches um being a welcoming church for those that are returning um a friend of mine who returned from prison, she said, you know, she felt a lot of shame coming out. And then when she, uh, when she went to church, she, she felt judgment. Mm. Um, so how, how do we create like really gracious environments where, Hey, we've all made mistakes, right? We've all broken God's laws. Right. And, um, there's restoration there. And so kind of being a, a welcoming community. Well, that's a lot of really great advice. Sean, I appreciate you taking the time today. I really enjoyed talking to you, and, and best of luck for everything you're doing with Mission Year and, and all your prison reform. Thank you. Keep doing what you're doing. I love it. Thanks. That was Sean Castleberry. Sean is available to speak at your next event, and you can connect with him at seancastleberry.com. And while you're there, check out the great books he has written. I'd like to hear from you as well. You can connect with me on Facebook or Twitter. Just search for Redemptive Revolution. There are also lots of great resources at our website, redemptiverevolution.com. Check it out. And if you're a brother or sister rebuilding your life after incarceration, we would love to hear your story. You might even get profiled on the show. Until next time, my name is Nick Arnold, and this is Redemptive Revolution. Redemptive Revolution.